This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer on this warm Saturday afternoon, the last one of July. I'm Sterling Fox, and in just a very few moments, Doctors Marco Venus and Rob Ashburner will join us to talk about the creatures in our lives. We're talking animals now, and to take your calls about your pets. But first, here are some more of the top consumer stories we're following this week. We looked at the hit Facebook took this week last hour, but Facebook was not the only social media platform that took a beating in value as a on Friday, we saw the value of Twitter go down by almost as harsh a number as Facebook. Thursday was a 19% drop for Facebook, and Friday saw Twitter take a 17% hit to their bottom line. In addition to cracking down on hate, abuse, and online trolls, Twitter announced a decline in monthly users and predicted that number will increase in the coming months. Not exactly the kind of news investors want to hear. Twister, Twitter rather says it's putting the long-term stability of its platform above user growth, and its new stated mission is to clean up the Wild West part of the platform, which seems to be confusing shareholders. Twitter reported slightly lower user numbers than expected. How many folks on the Donald's favorite messaging service? Last month, 335 million, compared to Facebook's 2.2 billion. But a bad week for both companies. Coca-Cola has announced that prices for some of the company's products will be rising and President Trump's tariffs are partly at fault. Quote, the tariff on the metals is one of the many factors that cost us to go out in the middle of the year and announce price increases, says Coke CEO, who also noted rising labor costs are another factor. He added the hike was pretty unusual for the company, which also reported its second quarter results on Wednesday. And during that call with investors, the tariffs were called disruptive for both customers and the company. Coca-Cola rose 1.7% on the S&P after its quarterly sales and profit beat estimates on strong demand for its zero sugar brand and that new version of Diet Coke. We reported here recently that Pepsi has warned BC restaurants their prices are going up and perhaps more ominously both Toyota and General Motors are making noises about price increases on the way too. That old cliche, nobody ever wins in a trade war, wasn't just made up. I just hope we all don't have to learn the hard way. Two big announcements this week from two of the world's biggest retailers. Walmart Canada said Thursday it will spend more than $175 million to build a 300,000-square-foot high-tech, state-of-the-art, fresh and frozen grocery facility in Surrey. The center will be the hub for deliveries of fresh produce and frozen grocery items to 60 stores throughout the province. The announcement came just 24 hours after Amazon announced plans for its latest fulfillments center, which is a million square foot development in the suburban greater Toronto area of Caledon. A construction of that building slated to get underway soon. Occupancy next year, the Walmart facility, which the company is also calling a fulfillment center, is not scheduled for construction until 2021. It is expected to open 14 to 18 months later in 2022, where Amazon's release focused on jobs and employee benefits, Walmart's announcement 
announcement was all about sustainability, including plans for for the facility to be zero waste when it opens in the Campbell Heights Business Park in Surrey. And this is timely. A new world first study has found young people who regularly use sunscreen could reduce their risk of developing melanoma by up to 40%. This is led by researchers at the University of Sydney in Australia, and the study is the first to look at how using sunscreen in childhood could affect the melanoma risk for adults aged 18 to 40. The team looked at data on sunscreen use collected from interviews with over 600 melanoma patients and over a thousand control participants. The results showed that regularly using sunscreen in childhood and adulthood was significantly associated with a decreased risk of melanoma among young adults aged 18 to 40, with the risk reduced by 35 to 40 percent for regular sunscreen users compared to those who rarely use it. The researchers also found that sex age, ancestry, educational level, skin pigmentation, and sunburn were also factors associated with sunscreen use. But here's the bottom line, quote, this study confirms that sunscreen is an effective form of sun protection and reduces the risk of developing melanoma as a young adult. Sunscreen should be applied regularly during childhood and throughout adulthood whenever the UV index is at three or above to reduce the risk of developing melanoma and other skin cancers, close quote. And by the way, the UV index right now down the street at English Bay is seven, which is high. Break out the sunscreen. Those are some more of the top consumer stories we're following this week. We'll look at a few more later in the hour. But up next, get your questions ready about your pets. We have two veterinarians standing by with tons of useful information. Doctors Marco Venus and Rob Ashburner are on deck, ready for your calls. Let's open up the phone lines, Andrew. We might as well. We know it's going to be super busy. 604-280-9898. Again, 604-280-9898. Your calls to our vets coming right up on Vancouver Consumer here on 980 CKNW. And welcome back to Vancouver Consumer on this Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox. A bit of a change in the batting order. We were talking about our docs on deck. Well, one of them is on deck, and it's a pleasure to welcome Dr. Marco Venus from the Okanagan Veterinary Hospital in Kelowna to the airwaves of Vancouver Consumer. Dr. Venus, Marco, welcome, sir. Welcome. Thank you. I'm quite happy to be on the show. And I would like to welcome everybody from sunny Okanagan. Excellent. Well, it's good to have you with us, Dr. Venus. It's, we appreciate it. Your colleague, Dr. Rob Ashburner, uh, unfortunately is out of cell range at the moment, and we'll, uh, we'll continue trying to reach him. Uh, Dr. Venus, we got a lot to talk about this, uh, this, uh, this afternoon. Uh, one thing, though, that we absolutely have to start with is warmer in Kelowna right now than it is in Vancouver. And in Vancouver, it's 27.5 degrees. That's at English Bay, Dr. Venus. So you can imagine out in Chilliwack and Abbotsford, it's in well into the 30s. Uh, in Kelowna, obviously in the 30s today, and you know what I'm going with this. We're talking animals in cars. What can you tell us about all of this, please? Well, the, the shortest answer uh, that I can give you is please don't. I mean, it, it's the same as children left in, in cars. Um, inside of, of cars, it can get awfully hot very, very quickly. And don't let dogs, cats, any animal inside your vehicle not even when you quickly 
dash in, you know, to grab that last little item in the grocery mm-hmm. store. Uh, you know, you feel hoping you need some ice cream. You know, make sure that there's somebody who can hold your dog outside of the vehicle. Um, especially here in Kelowna, we see cases of heat stroke every year. Sure. And it just causes unnecessary pet suffering. What happens when a, uh, when a dog or uh, gets heat stroke? I mean, a person, a human, just passes out, just plank, face plant, where you just go straight down like a sack of potatoes. Is, is it the same with a dog, or are they even in greater distress? No, they're in the, in the same uh, distress. I mean, at first, of course, you know, they, uh, they get very anxious, they get very frantic. Uh, you know, they fully realize that they're way too hot. So the first thing you'll notice is that they, they start panting excessively. Sure. Uh, the next part, of course, is they are trying to escape. You know, they will try to get out of the vehicle. Uh, but very quickly, if the temperature is, uh, is too high, uh, it will lead to loss of consciousness and then uh, ultimately to death. And uh, the body can only sustain high temperatures for a very short period of time. Uh, if the temperature is too high, a certain moment your brain simply shuts down. Yeah, and, and of course, in, in, on a hot day where it's close to 30 degrees in Vancouver and well above 30 in Kelowna, in the car, even if you've left the windows open a crack, uh, it gets to 40 degrees in super fast times. And, and we think, and you, you so rightly said, Dr. Venus, I'm just going to zip into the store and get that last thing. It'll only take a couple of minutes. Well, at 40 plus degrees inside a contained space it doesn't take very long for distress to occur does it no it, it can literally you know they, they've done tests uh, here but they, they just put the temperature gauge in uh, in a car and yes you're right even with the windows roll down a little bit you know the temperatures you, you said the 40s but you know you can actually go up into the 50s mm. uh, pretty quickly you know depending on the outside temperature and the position of the sun but you're, you're talking about five ten minutes and the animal can already uh, be in in distress and and it can already be life-threatening so it really doesn't take long and this applies to cats as well doesn't it there's no difference in terms of animals in in cars at all is there no well i mean the general principle uh, applies now cats are perhaps a little bit more heat tolerant than dogs it also depends on uh, on dog breed of course if you have a big hairy malamute um, you know, they're built for living up north mm-hmm. in, in, you know, snow country. Uh, they might overheat a little bit faster than your average chihuahua. Um, mm. But still, you know, for cats, the same applies. You know, any animal, even if it's your, your guinea pig, uh, you know, they, they can't sustain those temperatures. We uh, have opened up our phone lines, Dr. Venus, and we would like to include as many of our listeners uh, through the conversation as possible. 604-280-9898. And we'll begin uh, with Lucille here in Burnaby, who's been actually waiting for quite a while. Lucille, thank you for your oh, patience. Hi, Hi. Hi. I, I've always been a cat owner. My previous two cats are 20 and 21 when they had to be... Um, not a resuscitated, but uh, what do you know? Euthanized, right, yes. Yeah, euthanized. I now have a rescue cat, which they tell me is three years old. I've had this cat, female, for five months. She, and I have two questions on this. She's the most finicky cat I've ever had. I don't know what to feed her anymore. She will eat dry food. I don't know what her water intake is, but she doesn't like any pate. She doesn't like any beef. She doesn't like this. She doesn't like that. And how, I, how old is this cat, Lucille, again? I'm sorry? How old is she again? She's three years old. Oh, that's not a very old animal. And I don't have animal. any bio because they just picked her off the street. Okay. So my second question is, this cat is lovable when she wants to be, and she, oh, when I try to correct her in bad habits like scratching on the rug, furniture, et cetera, et cetera, 
she has an anger management. She will come back and attack me like I've never seen a cat okay. attack me. All right, Lucille, a couple of a couple of points for you then, Doctor Venus. Uh, first of mm-hmm. all, uh, how to um, uh, entice a super finicky eating cat, and this and Lucille's is not the only one in Metro Vancouver uh, to eat. Uh, I mean, what's the deal? Yeah, uh, I just want to say, yo, welcome to the, the wonderful world of cats. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that, that, that's typical for cats, yo. Cats tend to be finicky eaters. Now, some, some cats, you know, are not picky, uh, and it doesn't always have to do with their background. You know, my, my own two personal uh, cats that I, I had for 18 years and I, I recently lost, um, they came out of the same dumpster. One would pretty much eat anything. He was kind of like a Labrador in cat fur. Uh-huh. Uh, the other was extremely finicky uh, as well. Uh, typically, you know, what I tell clients, and it's the same advice that MDs give mothers that are concerned that their kids are, are not eating uh, all their food, is as long as your cat is not losing weight, you know, don't lose any sleep over it. And the hot I mean, weather has something to do with it too, doesn't it, Doctor Marco? It does, yeah, it? probably. You yeah. know, all of us, at, you know, when it's this hot, you know, you don't want to eat, you know, quite as much as as when it's cold. You're probably not burning uh, as much calories. But I, I think the answer is is really simple. Monitor your cat's weight, and if your cat is not losing weight, then although you may find or may feel that the cat is not eating enough. Obviously, your cat is getting enough in to sustain a normal body weight, and you don't have anything to worry about. Right, but the other half of, of, of Lucille's conundrum this afternoon, Dr. Venus, is the fact yes. that the cat is, uh, well, uh, it, it's a little hostile. When, when you know, you attempt to, to create a behavior or correct a negative behavior, the cat yes. becomes aggressive. Yes, and, um, you know, the, the issue there with cats is that cats... Um, you know, like to shoot the messenger in the sense that if you have a dog and you tell your dog that you know, he's been naughty and, and you say no, dogs kind of accept you as their leader, their pack leader. Mm-hmm. And they might talk a little bit, but they get a message and then they go on with life. Right. Uh, cats, on the other hand, you know, typically do not like being told what to do, mm-hmm. uh, no matter who you are. And sometimes they, they will resent it. So typically, if you want to correct cat behavior, it's usually better to do it in a way that can't directly be linked back to you. Um, great solutions here are, are things like super soakers, uh, for instance, where if your cat is showing some unwanted behavior... Uh, you Give know, it a squirt? Give it a skirt. Oh, you know, from distance. they so hate the cat, water. Yeah, it doesn't hurt the cats, but it's usually enough to startle them. And, oh, no and, kidding. You know, if that happens a few times, then they realize, like, you know, every time I start scratching at the couch, you know, I, I get wet. And hopefully they will stop their uh, behavior. Well, there you go, uh, Lucille. The did you, did you is, thought about that? Lucille, you're still with us? An ultrasonic thing with the battery, you know, and I just push it once, and that seems to work temporarily. Oh, well, water, uh, according to Dr. Venus, is also an equally effective and uh, a very uh, low-priced uh, alternative to consider. <laughs> just a little that. something that, you, you know, you spray the plants with. Just have a little burst of that in the face and may see what, what, what Pussycat does after you try to, to correct the behavior. Thanks for your call, I Lucille. I will try that. Thank you. No problem at all. As we go to the ferry terminal to check in with Heather. Heather, good afternoon. And what ferry terminal are you at today? Oh, hi. Yeah, I'm going from um, Departure Bay to Horseshoe Bay. We're okay. going out to Harrison Mills to the Sasquatch Inn this weekend. Oh, fabulous. What's your question for Dr. Venus this afternoon, Heather? 
Well, my golden retriever was just diagnosed with uh, osteosarcoma, and uh, three weeks ago we had her leg and her shoulder taken off uh, to prevent, hopefully prevent the spread. I was just wondering, what is the um, diagnosis for, um, the, the prognosis, sorry, the prognosis for um, uh, her care? Like, I mean, you know, if she will be anything reoccurring or anything like that, uh, what do you think about uh, getting a holistic veterin- veterinary to um, incorporate uh, some of the Eastern medicine with the Western medicine, such as the chemo, stuff like that? Dr. Venus. Ah, that's a, it's a good question. Uh, first of all, you know, I, I can give you general answers about osteosarcomas. Uh, of course, I can't give you um, advice regarding your golden retriever because I, I'm not familiar with the details of the case. But, but osteo- you know, for the it, listeners, it, osteosarcoma is a form of bone cancer. Right, right. Uh, it's bone cancer that is common in large breed dogs, particularly, and to be honest, it's a nasty disease. The problem that we're facing is, of course, if you have a tumor in your bone, it, it hurts and, and animals are lame. But the biggest problem is that in most cases, by the time that these patients are diagnosed, these tumors already have spread into other parts of their body. And that means that if you amputate the leg, you know, you can get rid of the tumor but that does not necessarily mean that you get rid of the metastasis, you know, the little tumor cells that have spread throughout the body. Right, which and is why Heather was asking that, about chemo and that sort of thing. Yes, and that's, that's where chemo comes in. Right. Because you know, these tumor cells can be anywhere, so surgery is not an option, and that's why you try to chase them down with chemotherapy. Um, my experience, and, and we do a fair bit of this in, in my clinic, is that the chemotherapy is typically well tolerated. You don't have the, you know, puking their guts out, all their hair falls out, and the horror stories that you hear about some people With humans, that have yeah. to go through chemo. Um, at the same time, you know, yes, sometimes you can have mild side effects. The treatment is, is not cheap. You know, there are several t- treatments. You need to do blood work uh, in between. And even with chemotherapy, you know, if you, in this case, you know, dog has osteosarcoma, you amputate its leg, um, you put them on uh, chemotherapy, then the average published survival times are around 10 to 12 months. Okay. Heather, does that help at all? Yeah, it does for sure. Um, has he had any um, uh, dealings with people that take them to an integrated veterinarian? So um, incorporating, like, the food and the chiropractic and the acupuncture. Marco, have you had any experience with that? Well, I I don't offer it uh, in my clinic. Right. Uh, But, yes, you know, I have clients that, you know, also use complementary medicine. And, um, you know, the, the thing, of course, is, you know, acupuncture massage, uh, you know, it can definitely help with pain relief. Um, You know, whether these medications can really affect the overall outcome of the disease, you know, I'm skeptical that, that, you know, these therapies will increase survival times. They might increase the patient's comfort, and as a consequence, it's definitely something to consider. Uh, at the same time, I, I think you have to be very, very careful before you uh, promise owners of, of this class of patients uh, things that you, know, you can't really live up to. 
Right, right. And, and it becomes a little dodgy, too, doesn't it? But on the other hand, uh, you can certainly appreciate Heather's concern and yeah. her desire to have her pooch with her as long as uh, is, is possible and, I would yeah. think, affordable. And you made the point that it is an expensive uh, route to take. But, of course, if you're the dog's owner, it's worth every penny now, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that that's you know a call that everybody has to make, and, and you know what one person feels is expensive, you know other people feel is is really really cheap. You know some people say, well, you know you can't put a price on on having my my pet with me exactly. you know, for another year. Mm-hmm. Heather, uh, thanks very much for your call. I hope you have a, a lovely trip on the ferry. It's a great day for a ferry boat ride, and uh, you have a nice weekend when you arrive at this uh, at your destination. Uh, we're going to take a call from Gary in North Vancouver, but Gary, please, sir, if you will, uh, stay with us because we're going to take a, a news break, and then we'll come back with Dr. Marco Venus from the Okanagan Veterinary Hospital in sunny, hot Kelowna. And here we are, not far behind on the thermostat in downtown Vancouver. It's Vancouver Consumer with Sterling Fox and Dr. Marco Venus with lots more, including more of your calls to 280-9898 with the obligatory 604 up front after the news. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer. A pleasure to have Dr. Marco Venus from the Okanagan Veterinary Hospital in Kelowna with us this afternoon as we take your calls about your pets on this last Saturday of July, the opening night of the Honda Celebration of Light. 250,000 people expected to take in the show at 10 o'clock this evening. We're right back to the phone line. Gary in North Vancouver, thank you for your patience. Good afternoon. Uh, yes, uh, I just have a general question about what to feed a cat, whether it should be moist food or dry food or a combination thereof. bit of a debate in our house as to whether it should have just dry food or moist food. I've been told moist food is important for uh, water retention. However, the dry food is good for the teeth. So I'd just like to get an opinion on that. Thank Great you. question. And, it, it, and I would extend that to dogs as well. But let's deal with cats first, yes. Marco. Yeah, you know, cat nutrition uh, is the hot topic here for today, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as the previous uh, caller already said, you know, cats can be picky uh, regarding uh, their food. So there are cats that, you know, you can put canned food, pet food in front of them. Uh, they're not going to touch it. Other cats, you know, want to eat it exclusively. Um, Nutrition-wise, you know, it doesn't make much difference. But, uh, you know, like the caller already said, um, moist foods contain more moisture. There's more water in there. So, you know, for some category of, of cats, moist diets are definitely more appropriate. You know, and I'm thinking of cats that may have, you know, kidney disease, cats that have problems with bladders, you know, urinary stones. So as a general rule, yes, it's advisable to see if your cat wants to eat, you know, a little bit of a high-quality moist diet. Uh, definitely something to consider. But again, if you want to have specific uh, diet advice for your specific cat, then we need to know, you know the cat's medical history and then we can make better recommendations. Right? Sure, Gary, it's always I- a good idea to check in with your veterinarian, especially if you have a special needs cat. If your cat is not entirely well, you know, has some issues, uh, you know, it's older, it has kidney issues, it has diabetes, um, maybe your cat is a cat overweight, you know, those can all be reasons to say, well, your cat, you know, should have a special diet. How old is the cat, Gary? Uh, five years old, and she, he'll eat either moist or dry. I'm just trying to prevent uh, kidney stones, I guess, from ah. happening. So that's why the, the general question, he, he is overweight. I feed him too much. <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to uh, 
get an idea if a mix is probably the best way to go, I guess. All right. Dr. Venus, you would agree? Uh, well, you know, again, Kerry uh, mentioned that his cat is overweight. And yes. if his cat is overweight, it might actually be better to see if the cat wants to eat you know, more of a moist diet. The reason is that for the same volume, those diets have less calories because you know, a large part of the volume is made up by moisture, is made up by water. So um, you know, those diets tend to kind of fill up his cat's stomach uh, nicely uh, without all the calories that you know, dry kibble would put in there. Interesting. Gary, thanks very much for the call. We appreciate it. And, and let me just extend the conversation to dogs because we, yeah. have, we have a dog uh, at our place who, who, who like uh, Gary was suggesting for his cat, uh, uses a mix of moist and dry. Uh, and when we uh, had our last visit to the vet, Doggy was uh, found to be a little, little heavy. And, mm. and so uh, the, the advice was decrease the dry in the mix and, yeah. and keep, the, keep the, the moist stuff, about a half a can of serving, uh, about the same, but just cut down on the kibble because that's where the weight comes from. Is that true? Well, again, if, if you do it by weight, then yes, you know, dry foods by nature contain more calories. Ah, okay. in, in wet food, you know, it's calories and moisture, calories and water. So it's a little bit, the calories are a little bit more diluted in wet diets. Uh, at the same time, you know, my advice for your own dog would be, you know, follow your veterinarian's advice mm-hmm. and then also, you know, follow up by weighing your dog to see if your dog indeed is, is losing weight and is, is getting near its target. Weight. In fact, she is. So the advice in this case was, was well taken and uh, kind of oh. surprised us because uh, we weren't expecting it. But yeah, she's a bit overweight, so try uh, readjusting the food mix. And it worked. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you about this. This is something the BC Veterinarian Association has got on its website. And, and it's, yeah. kind of, it's a kind of a, a talk of a much conversation amongst you vets across our province, Dr. Marco Venus. And it's this yeah. whole matter of feeding animals, but especially grain-free diets. For some reason, that's very trendy these days. And mm-hmm. But there's, is there a link of some kind between grain-free diets and animal heart disease? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because, yes, this is kind of hot off the press. Uh, at this moment, the Food and Drug Administration, FDA in the States, uh, has started to research to see if there is indeed a link between grain-free diets and a very particular kind of heart disease, dilated cardiomyopathy, which is a disease of the heart muscle itself. Okay. And it's a pretty nasty uh, disease in the sense that it's, you know, once dogs have it, it's, uh, there is treatment available, but usually you know, the prognosis and the survival times for those patients are, are not that great. Uh, now, at this moment, you know, it's, it's still in the early stages. Uh, you know, there have been a number of cases reported to the FDA enough, you know, to, to trigger some concerns and for the FDA to say, well, we need to look into this. But at this moment, we don't have any hard data yet to say definitively that grain-free diets are the culprit. Interesting. Uh, six but there is a suspicion, and that's one of the reasons why we say, well, you know, if if you are feeding your dog a grain-free diet, 
it might be worthwhile having a discussion with your veterinarian, uh, you know, whether you should continue doing that or whether you should consider switching to something else until the dust settles on this case. Until there's more science available. Interesting. 604-280-9898, by the way, if you want to jump in on this conversation with Dr. Marco Venus at the Okanagan Veterinary Hospital, 604-280-9898. Feeding uh, dogs uh, are huge. Uh, I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar industry here in North America, Dr. Venus. But, you know, there's this there is a school of thought out there, Marco, that says, well, you know, we really need to, to feed the dog. Uh, well, the dog, you know, is a direct descendant of the wolf in the wild. So the more mm-hmm. we can replicate the diet of the wolf in the wild, the more we'll be doing a, a real service to our domestic dog, no matter how many thousand years this particular creature may be removed from the wolf in the wild. What's your take on all of this? Well, you know, I, I think my answer would be, but I, I have a hard time picturing, you know, a pack of Shih Tzu's bringing down a deer successfully. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, joking aside, uh, we also know, and there's hard science behind that, that, you know, dogs over the ten thousands or tens of thousands of years that they've lived together with humans, you know, have also adapted their digestive tract. Yes. So as, you know, as an example, dogs are much better at handling carbohydrates than their wild ancestors. So, you know, to say that, you know, dogs should be eating what wolves are eating is oversimplifying uh, matters. Okay. At the same time, you know, it's always useful to look at their ancestors and say, okay, well, this works for them, this doesn't work uh, for them. But again, um, I, I think we can all agree that, um, you know, you, you mentioned your dog was overweight, so your dog could use some extra exercise, I'm yes, sure. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, that doesn't necessarily mean that we need to let them roam around in, in packs, you know, and, and try and catch and, and kill critters. Right. Um, so, uh, again, I, I think it's it's an oversimplification. And, um, you know, if, if dogs would be eating what wolves are eating, that is not necessarily the best. Gotcha. I uh, wanted to talk about doggy dental care, and I guess ca- mm-hmm. uh, cats too. It's been a while since we've had a cat in our house. We, we, our kids were raised with dogs and cats all around. We only have a dog now. And um, I have to confess, I don't spend a lot of time brushing my dog's teeth. Now, when she gets groomed and gets her nails clipped and her ears cleaned and all of that, they do the teeth at the same time as part of the package, which I'm, I'm grateful for and, of course, which I pay for. But yeah. uh, the, the, the vet and the vet seemed to last time we got the check, he looked at the teeth and went, oh, not bad, not bad, which means that the groomers are doing a good job. How important to you as a veterinarian, Dr. Venus, is it for your clients to clean their pooch's tooths? Yeah, well, it's kind of the same as for us. You know, there definitely there are health benefits to having healthy teeth in your mouth. Um, also, it's far more comfortable to have healthy teeth in your mouth than teeth that are abscessed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, in dogs, it, it is also size dependent. The larger breeds tend to have way less dental problems than if you have a small breed dog. Small breed dogs get dental disease much, much faster. Did not and know that. The best, the best way to prevent it is to brush their teeth. And it's same as us, you know, you need to do it on a regular basis. Now, with dogs, you know, we don't advocate to brush their teeth, you know, two to three times a day. But we really would like to see people brush their teeth, their pet's teeth, 
once a day. The mm. other thing is you mentioned groomers and, and cleaning kids, yes. and there are many groomers that do a fine job. Uh, the only thing is what they do is they, they can clean above the gum line. So not under the gum line. And we all know that when we go to the dentist and get our teeth cleaned, you have the dental technician that picks at your teeth and gets under the gum line. Yeah. It's a little sensitive. It's not pleasant, but we know that we have to sit still. Um, you can't ask dogs to do that. You can't expect them to do that. Sure. And as a consequence, um, you know, they, they can clean the visible parts, but they can't really clean below the gum line. They can't clean in between uh, the teeth. They can't clean the inside uh, or, you know, the very back molars where actually dogs tend to have most of the problems. So I, I want to warn uh, the listeners in this case that it's not bad to get your teeth done at the groomers, mm -hmm. but that's not a proper dental cleaning where you also clean all the tartar under the gum line. Gotcha. What about these chews? You know, you can buy them in, mm -hmm. at, at the stores and, you know, they're they're specifically branded and marketed. This is a billion-dollar industry here. We're talking a lot of mad marketeers making megabucks, but yeah. are these doggy chew, these dental chews, somewhat or even moderately effective? They, you know, they help. But, you know, if, if your question is, you know, does that negate the need to brush my teeth? Then the answer is no. You gotcha. need to go home and you need to start brushing your dog's teeth. All right. Okay. That's that's it from the doc. Let's go back to the phone lines. We're in Burnaby this time with Nancy on the line. Hello, Nancy. Hi. Um, I'm wondering, no, this is kind of silly, but um, I've come home a few times and found that my husband has left the cat. Couldn't find the cat and has left him in a, in a hurry on the balcony. Left mm -hmm. For about two or three hours. Right. We face southwest, so we get the afternoon sun. Oh, boy. And uh, I'm say saying to him, look, there should be a fine for you. That would stop you. That would get you to look. Because he just looks out the door and calls the cat. So, and, uh, and there's, I assume there's no, not a lot of shade available on the balcony for the cat to hide under or anything. Well, we have a few plunges, yeah, but... <laughs> Not a lot. No, you're right. Right. So the, it becomes, uh, and I guess the, the doctor's listening to us all, and you're going to have to stick a needle in that husband of yours and make sure he's a little more attentive to where, the, where he leaves the cat before checking out. Eh, Doc? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, you know, I kind of would limit my answer to, to stating that I'm not here to give marital advice. <laughs> <laughs> I can give, I can give veterinary decision. advice, but um, this is something, yeah, I'm not going to wade into that discussion. Okay, fair enough. Nancy, you're going to have to wing it yourself and make sure he's a little sharper on the on the cat patrol. Okay, thanks. You're quite welcome. There you go. Thanks for the call. Oh, a, a wise decision, uh, Dr. Venus. We appreciate that. Wanted to talk to you about fleas and ticks. Is this the peak season of the year, July and August, for animals, uh, dogs and cats especially, of course, to get fleas and ticks? And is there such a thing as a shot that can simply have them uh, take the shot and simply not get fleas and ticks, period. Is it that easy? Uh, I wish it was. Yeah. Uh, no. The, the short answer is no. Now, fleas and ticks, ticks are, first of all, you know, tick season starts a little bit earlier. Um, basically, you know, kind of here in the Okanagan, the, the moment that the snow melts, you get the, the first little rays of spring sunshine, you know, you can already have the first ticks. Interesting, It's okay. always a sure sign of spring in the clinic when you get the first cases with ticks in. 
hopefully, you know, in areas like Vancouver, actually, you know, the temperatures there are conducive that you can have flea problems year around. Yes. Now, you're right that, you know, it tends to be more of a problem, you know, during the, the hotter months of the year. Um, but in in the more temperate areas uh, in, in Canada, and especially in BC, so, you know, Vancouver, but also, you know, on the island, Fleas do tend to be a year-round problem, and there is a whole host of of flea control products available. And you know, it's at, at the moment I, I don't think we have enough time to go through all of them. But there is a wide array of products available mm. that are effective and that are safe. Yeah, so flea products, flea products are are fairly fairly plentiful and usually yeah. effective. We found one that works for us. It's a, an application once a month between the yeah. shoulder blades, that kind of thing. But there yeah. isn't there isn't a similar product to uh, to avoid tick issues, is there? Uh, no, actually there are. There oh. are similar products also I didn't products know that. that you can okay. apply uh, between shoulder blades. There are also tablets. Uh, and they are quite effective. Oh, okay. So, um, again, if, if if you're a city person with a city dog, your yeah. chances of having your creature exposed to ticks are minimal compared to persons living in the country or with access to the outback where the dog wanders a lot. That would be a more likely scenario for ticks to occur, correct? Well, the, the way they get ticks is, you know, ticks typically they like to, crawl onto, you know, shrubbery or tall grass. And, and when dogs are moving through this, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of latch on, get a blood meal and, and reproduce. That's kind of how ticks live. So, yes, if you have have a dog that basically never gets off the pavement, uh, its risk of getting ticks is quite low. Uh, however, you know, if you have, and I know the prices in Vancouver for houses, of course, are crazy, but yeah. if you're still lucky enough to have a house that has a backyard where you have some green stuff growing, and your dog likes to run around there and kind of run through the bushes and smell the roses, um, there's still a chance that your dog is going to have ticks. Interesting stuff. Dr. Venus, we're almost out of time, sir, and I just wanted to give the last word to you uh, in terms mm-hmm. of uh, summer advice for uh, from a, a, an experienced veterinarian to pet owners across Metro Vancouver and the Lower Mainland. Uh, any general tips, uh, aside from the obvious one we discussed at the beginning of this thing, which is do not, under any circumstances, leave your animals in a locked car on a hot day. That's item number one. Have you got any yeah. others? Yeah, don't over-exercise them in hot weather, you know, especially if you have a short-faced breed. You know, you don't want to start jogging down English Bay with your your bulldog at, in in the heat mm-hmm. if they uh, if they will overheat, even if they're not in a car. Right. Um, if you go on a hike, uh, your dog make sure that you take plenty of water for your dog along. Uh, also, you know, for dogs, uh, avoid running them on the really hot pavement. Uh, and if you don't know how hot the pavement is. You know, take off your shoes and, and if you stand can't on, the stand on it. your bare feet. <laughs> and if you can't stand on it, you know, chances are that it's not comfortable for your dog either. Excellent point. Dr. Venus, Dr. Marco Venus uh, from the Okanagan uh, Veterinary Hospital in Kelowna uh, with its delightful Dutch accent. It's been a real pleasure having you on the program this afternoon. And on behalf of all of those people who called in for, uh, for veterinary advice, we thank you very much. And, and we hope you have an excellent rest of the summer. Thank you very much. Uh, it was a pleasure to be on the show. And, um, yeah, hope to do it again. Well, we, we must make arrangements to have that happen, Dr. Venus. Thank you for this today. 
You're welcome. There's Dr. Dr. Marco Venus from the Okanagan Veterinary Hospital in Kelowna. Thanks for your calls. We're back after this. And once again, our thanks to Dr. Marco Venus for an incredibly fast hour full of good information. And thanks for your calls, too. That helps a whole lot. Time now for Dooley Noted. And this time, our producer, Ben Dooley, takes a look at how to stay cool in this heat. Thanks, Sterling. With the warning that people could die, the city of Vancouver is taking steps to ensure that everyone stays safe during this hot spell. Environment Canada issued a heat warning on Tuesday for BC's south coast. Dr. James Liu of Vancouver Coastal Health notes that everyone needs to take precautions in the summer heat, but the elderly, the young, and those with chronic conditions are particularly at risk. Heat can kill. Uh, people can die from heat, even in the lower mainland. Eight temporary water fountains have been set up throughout the city, and there are plans to install even more. The Vancouver Fire Department has installed temporary water fountains attached to fire hydrants. A number of cooling centers are also opening up in the city. The Vancouver Public Library has turned 21 of its branches into places where residents can escape the heat. Misting stations, meanwhile, have been installed at four parks, and first responders say they will be stepping up patrols and providing vulnerable people with water and sunscreen. Pools and water parks will also be extending their hours. I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. Thanks, Ben. Time for a couple more consumer quickies before the news. BC Parks has added more campsites as more of us head to the great outdoors this summer. 431 new campsites have been added to the 10,700 existing campsites managed by BC Parks. Some upgrades have been made to the existing sites as well. And of the now over 11,000 campsites across the province, 50 55% of them are reservable, while the other 45 remain on a first-come, first-served basis. BC Parks number well over 1,000, and our park system is the third largest in North America, behind only the U.S. National Park Service and Parks Canada. More than 21 million people visit a BC park every year. Vegetarians and vegans now account for nearly 10% of Canada's population and their increased presence is forcing the restaurant and meat production industries to consider new approaches. According to research from Dalhousie University, there are 2.3 million vegetarians in Canada, up from 900,000 15 years ago. Another 850,000 people consider themselves vegan. Those two numbers add up to 9.4% of the Canadian population. One of the survey's author, as a professor of food distribution and policy at Dalhousie, says the majority of Canadian vegetarians and vegans are under the age of 35. And he says that means an increase in vegetarians' ranks will likely only ramp up as today's vegetarians become a bigger part of society. Likely, they'll be raising their children the way they're eating themselves, say the researchers. And as for concerns rather from beef producers and other agricultural sectors, the researchers say they better shape up and pay attention 
attention to existing trends. If you're thinking about adopting a furry friend, consider an older cat and check out this promotion. The BCSPCA is offering 50% off the adoption fees for adult cats up until tomorrow. It's a chance for older cats at the shelter to find permanent homes during kitten season and free up space to bring in more animals. Older cats, uh, generally more low-maintenance, litter box trained, among other benefits. They tend to be calmer and their personalities have developed, so it allows for better matches. Check them out through tomorrow, half price on adult cats at any BCSPCA. And that is our show for today, produced by Ben Dooley with Andrew Ferreira at the controls. Thanks to all of our guests and thank you for joining us. We value your feedback and if you have some thoughts or ideas about our show, please send them along to sterling at cknw.com. I'm Sterling Fox. Join us again next Saturday at 2 for another edition of Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.